This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Andrew Wyatt, co-founder and CEO of Cala. And what I love about fashion tech is being able to use the left side and right side of your brain seemingly simultaneously. When it comes together and, and is really valuable, you enable creators to do things that they would not be able to do 10 years ago due to issues with scale or um, access. And so it's a fantastic way to use, you know, my background in technology and our team's background in technology, as well as, you know, tons of creative um, folks that we work with to, to make great things happen. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. I'm Mark Rico, and staring at me with his backwards baseball cap. Well, it isn't backwards if it's the way you should be wearing it, so it's appropriately positioned baseball cap that is Pavan Ball. The thing about wearing a baseball cap backwards is the only people that know what the design on it is and what it signifies is everyone that you've already passed that That's are behind right. you. Now, it, so. that, I wish that were the ethos behind wearing it backwards, but it just isn't. I think it just no, fits. It yeah, I think just the headphones fit better with it, but, you know, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's going on mark how you doing <laughs> good to see you bud yeah, man. um also with us andrew wyatt andrew so glad to have you sir um i'm glad you could join us uh and i'm i'm actually i mentioned to you before and i apologize for saying so but i'm just marveling at your just incredible head of hair just like <laughs> the most perfect sculpted quaff quaff i think it's been called quaff many a time and yes. uh, thank you very much. What I say is with, with great hair comes great responsibility. And so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I'll, yes. I'll be the first to say I, I blow dry it and I'm not ashamed. There's no reason to be ashamed. <laughs> you you have not just a quaff. You are you are near uh, pompadour. Is that the word? What do you call it when it, I, pompadour, I do think, right? Yeah, pompadour. Yep. Like Conan's got a Conan O'Brien's got a pompadour. I'm not quite on that level, no. but I can see the path there. So funny story, actually. So before I lived in New York, I got introduced to Jack Dorsey's hairdresser um, by this guy that I worked with at SHIP and went there one time three years before I lived in New York and finally got an amazing haircut. And so I would just time it so that every like two months or so, I'd end up back in New York to get my haircut for a couple of years. And then finally I moved there and the guy's like, wait, you haven't lived in New York? I'm like, nope. But uh, once you get a good haircut, you just got to stick with it. Ain't that the truth? You know, it's funny. Um, I never let my wife cut my hair before. And you would think as a man with, you know, more skin on his the top of his head than I would prefer. A lot of people <laughs> think that, you know, the haircut for a bald or balding man is, is, you know, maybe it doesn't matter as much. I beg to differ. I think it's very takes skill to do that right to to make sure that it works correctly for that man. Um, and it's very obvious when it's done wrong too. That's, and, and, I, I completely that's right. agree with you. So come COVID, uh, there just came a point of I broke down and I I let her. I, I gave into her pleads to allow her to cut my hair and trust her with sharp scissors. And lo and behold, if she didn't do a fine job, and I see absolutely no reason to go back to a barber except for just the the pleasure of the experience when the time is right. But who knew? There, there's a handful of random things that that COVID uh, unlocked. Um, you know, obviously, is terrible thing, but you know, spending more time at home with the fam has definitely been a, a delightful one as well. And I've heard, I've seen like. 50% of the folks that do the home haircuts, it's terrible. And then the other half, it's like, oh, we've, we've got an unlock here. Yeah, exactly. Mark, can we go on to uh, facial hair now? Sure. Can let's go talking? facial hair. Oh, that's rude. <laughs> okay. Come on, guys. <laughs> Killing me. Sure. Let's, go, let's cover all the hairs. <laughs> all right. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right, Andrew. Great to have you here. Uh, I would love to lead off with this this question since we happen to mention COVID. I, I don't like having to sort of bring a mandatory COVID dimension to every discussion that we have, but – for some reason, it feels relevant in your situation a little bit, I, as with everyone. Uh, I'm kind of curious how you thought things were going and what you thought was ahead for your business right before the pandemic became a reality. 
And how, if at all, has that transformed even what your business is, much less how you have survived it and grown from it? Absolutely. So if we rewind, I was actually in China like early January of 2020. So was in uh, Wangzhou province, which is about two hours from Wuhan. And, uh, and I remember doing a Zoom call actually with someone who was in Taiwan. And he's like, what are you doing there? Like, they're going to close the, the borders any minute. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I started some research. I was like, oh, wow. And so, you know, prior to that Zoom meeting, we were planning on, you know, signing a big partnership with one of our factories in, in China and in, in Wangzhou and um, really kind of doubling down there. And, you know, we're also at the same time trying to figure out, you know, how do we get access to more, you know, high level influencers, which we're, we're, we kind of had this hypothesis around, you know, there's going to be more and more influencers that launch brands. Fast forward about two weeks, you know, all of our investors are talking about how the capital markets are screwed for the next 24 months, um, you know, cut as much burn as you can, you know, hold on tight everything's going to be screwed, you know, and so it's, it's really, we have those two weeks of kind of like nightmare scenario. Um, so I'd luckily gotten back from China at that point. And so, you know, as a leadership team, we, we took a pause, you know, we looked at our runway and we're like, all right, you know, let's try to raise some capital right away. Um, and let's, let's, you know, let's see how we can be involved and how we can, you know, make, make uh, the best of this sort of bad situation. And so um, we immediately launched our support each other, um, campaign where we enabled small businesses and restaurants and artists, you know, all the people that you might tip $10 for playing music or, um, you know, may buy a t-shirt from them at, at the bar. We gave them, you know, free access to Cala and helped the, and created a, a site where everyone could come and buy. Uh, ironically, it was kind of like Barstool Fund, but, you know, uh, with, with way less uh, eyeballs. And so that was amazing. Uh, we, we made a ton of products for about 30 or 40 different people. And through that experience, though, something actually changed as well, where, you know, previous to COVID, we spent a lot of time trying to get in contact with, you know, this person's manager, or this agent. And it's like all of a sudden the access level of talent was like never before. It was, hey, let's hop on a call tomorrow. And, you know, the talent themselves is like on the Zoom. And so, you know, because people's tours were canceled and um, productions were, you know, paused or, or canceled, a lot of people were looking at different ways to monetize. And so, you know, we were able to get some pretty amazing sort of uh, direct access to talent, which was incredibly valuable. You know, why don't we uh, take a step back real quick and just uh, give a quick primer in terms of uh, the platform, um, what it's able to accomplish and how it's, uh, yeah, uh, essentially democratizing, let's say, the manufacturing side of fashion. Absolutely. So, you know, Cala is for fashion brands who want to digitize and streamline their operations to be more efficient, reduce costs, and even speed up time to market. We're the only fashion design and production platform that digitizes the entire supply chain. So from, you know, providing collaboration tools that are built in, we've had people call us Slack for, for fashion or Asana for fashion. Um, but then also we have, um, you know, every sort of touch point that you would need from brand designers to ghost designers to technical designers. We have over 45 manufacturers now that are on our platform that are in 10 different countries. We have warehouses in four different countries. And so, you know, unlike the endless email chains and the Excel tech packs, PLMs, WhatsApp messages, you know, we're basically a full service platform that includes, you know, best in class tech tools plus that production network. So you can, you know, manage your production in a digital first way that makes sense for, you know, really how the world works today on mobile, desktop, um, and in real time with your whole team. How, how many people are, are part of the team? Um, so we have 20 full-time people. And then we have this pretty massive network of, of contractors that, um, you know, work in different sort of specialties. So we have around 30 ghost designers from brands mm -hmm. like Alexander yeah. Wang or Supreme or Anthropology. We have a bunch of technical designers. So if you're trying to produce like a, you know, a necklace, that's going to first get bid to someone that specializes in jewelry, not someone who specializes in t-shirts. And so, you know, across all these different categories, when you're using Cala, you're working with absolute experts, not, you know, this person who does a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they can kind of help you. And they got a friend who has a factory, you know, to, to actually day one on Cala, 
you're running a professional business and you get all the scale benefits of the over 100, 100 brands that we actually support. So, so this is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is primarily or the market, the target profile is like folks that have a great audience uh, that don't necessarily uh, have design experience, but maybe they have a really great design eye. Absolutely. So, you know, that's where we really spent the bulk of our time in 2020 is, you know, people that are already tastemakers. They're, you know, the outfits that they post online, the people they do collaborations with, the people they talk about, the things they repost is all curating this point of view. And historically, the only way you could really capitalize on that is either doing like cheap kind of turn and burn, like Teespring, Fanjoy type merch, or to you know, do a 10% licensing deal with Nike or one of these big brands. And then you see Kylie, Kanye, and Rihanna all create billion-dollar brands where, you know, they're actually majority owners of those businesses. Um, you know, I think it's kind of set the the trajectory for the next sort of phase of, of merch. Yeah, 100%. Now, I'm wondering, like, uh, going to, like, the pattern side of things, do you have, like, pre- develop patterns where people can choose from. So it's like, Hey, if I am developing a t-shirt, am I looking for this low scoop and I'm looking for that? Do you kind of build it uh, digitally or do you uh, take an idea, upload drawings like almost, you know, or do you then consult with that expert, whether it be uh, ghost, you know, the ghost designers that you had mentioned, uh, do you consult with them to then create a unique rendering or pattern? You know, the, the way that we kind of look at things and actually, like one of the nerdiest moments of my life was I was watching the Virgil Abloh Harvard talk and I was watching it on, on YouTube on our, our TV and I just kept taking photos of it while he was talking. And my wife's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, but what he did, he unlocked this thing in my mind, which is that he'll tell you he's not a designer. And so what he does is he takes photos via WhatsApp of things in the world, designs, past products, archive pieces, and then he'll annotate on it with, you know, his finger drawing, text, arrows, and then he kicks it to his design team. And then they'll come back to him with like fleshed out renders. And, you know, he has this amazing design team in Milan. And I had this idea. I was like, wait, what if everyone could be Virgil? What if you could just upload, you know, a couple images from your photo roll and add some comments on it, maybe a few measurements, and, and then send that out to this network of expert technical designers and let them come back to you with, you know, sort of their expertise and kind of bring it to life. And so that's very much the way that Cali was sort of built to operate. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's one way and that's how the majority of, of, of folks use Cali. Professional brands that we work with, sometimes they have those designers and so they can just easily, you know, drag and drop their Adobe Illustrator files or PDFs. But what we've done is we look back at, you know, the last couple of years of what's what's producing. And then we also can plug into people's e-commerce stores to help with fulfillment. So we can also see what's selling. And we've now have about 30 templates. And so you can actually start, you know, if day one on Cala, you can start with a cut and sew template. And now with our, our new Cala for Brands functionality, you can actually start without paying a single dollar, use these templates, um, you know, for the oversized hoodie to, uh, you know, a, a swim trunk, um, bikini top, you know, t extra small, extra large tote bag, all this kind of like foundational pieces. You can start with a fully built out design and then start iterating on it from there, which, you know, saves tons of time, tons of money. And then we also have a whole realm of kind of like our own blanks. And so, you know, the, we have sustainable options. We have, you know, higher end ones. We have more economy ones. Um, and so we're, you know, over time, we sort of see, more and more templates that make it really easy. So we're actually in the process right now of doing like a whole nother like 30 or 40 of them. Um, so that it's just like, you know, from your phone or, or, you know, wherever you are, just super easy to start creating. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack here um, in terms of the capability side. And, you know, then as you mentioned, it's, it's all the way through logistics and delivery. So, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of wondering, <laughs> but before we do that, I'm, I'm wondering about your story a little bit. Um, what's your background as it relates to fashion, if at all? And then um, how did kind of the team get together originally to form and develop this idea? I'm like a right brain, left brain, like hybrid person. But in, in school, I ended up spending a ton of my time on the left brain side. So, you know, I got into medical school, I did biochemistry, like I was deep in that and felt super unfulfilled at the same time. And so actually early in my, my college career, 
I, you know, took a tour of New York with a modeling agent and almost signed a modeling deal and kind of got like a taste of that fashion world and, um, you know, sampling and uh, fit models versus regular models. And, and so like in a week, I feel like I learned all this information. And then I also learned, wow, all of the male models are actually bartenders. I'm, go I'm going back to school and, and then kind of paused that for a while. And so I, I studied um, in addition to pre-med, I did operations because as I was shadowing doctors, I saw, you know, a ton of inefficiencies in the hospitals. And so I, I started doing operations and manufacturing and this kind of concept of like lean for um, healthcare. And so through that experience, I ended up pivoting and just deciding, you know, to bail on medical school and just focus on, you know, optimizing processes and manufacturing. And so that's kind of like, you know, my initial background quickly. When I, you know, got my first job was for this company based out of Denmark called Grunfoss and got to, you know, travel around the world, um, the world's largest manufacturer of pumps, like water pumps. Yeah, they're a massive and company. Huge company yep. and incredibly focused on sustainability and corporate values. And so those are two things that I, I picked up there and have taken with me everywhere I've gone. But I found myself again getting in this like disparity of like I was spending so much time on the sort of, you know, left brain side of the house that I was pre feeling pretty unfulfilled. And so um, actually was planning to leave that company and start consulting because I was using social media to actually um, help them run their sales and operations planning process. And it was going really well. So I was going to start, you know, trying to consult to like Lego and some of the other big like Danish companies. And I sat on a plane next to this, this guy and I was telling him my whole plan. He's like, seems interesting, but this Uber cab thing I think is going to be really big. And so I think there's going to be a lot of a need for engineers in San Francisco that are looking for operations, you know, experienced folks. And I'm like, well, I don't know anyone in SF, like, you know, what should I do? And he's like, well, there's this cool site called AngelList and it's kind of like LinkedIn, but it's where, you know, companies and talent and angel investors can all kind of come together. And so in the, uh, Amsterdam Schiphol Airport Lounge, I typed in logistics into AngelList and Ship popped up. And so Ship was like, you know, S-H-Y-P was like Uber for shipping. And, you know, I instantly looked at it. And it was like beautiful design. Like the user interface design was was by Josh, who's now one of my best friends and a Cal investor, ironically. And, uh, and so I was like, wow, like I know how to do this. Like, you know, I know all the operational stuff to make Uber for shipping work. Three weeks later, ended up moving into the, the Airbnb house with Josh and, and Kevin, the two founders, and, and basically got to be super creative from like a technical perspective and sort of a user experience perspective and, and learning about product design and interface design and experience design from Josh. And at the same time, how to connect that with operations. And we had this whole network in five different cities where you could take a photo of something and in 10 minutes, someone would come pick it up and professionally pack it for you and send it anywhere in the world. And so through that experience, we started seeing boutiques that were using Shopify. Now, you know, they knew nothing about shipping or buying boxes on Uline. And now they could reach this kind of global audience via Shopify plus ship. And we had other people who are running like Amazon businesses and, you know, but we're trying to pack it and ship everything out of their, you know, little apartment. And so they started using ship to, you know, outsource that, that fulfillment piece. And even like our biggest customer for a while was BMW of San Francisco. So they would, we would send like three different couriers there a day. They were doing hundreds of, of dollars of, you know, selling floor mats and all these different accessories um, using Amazon and, and ship. And that kind of got the wheels turning for me about this beautiful future that the internet has created where anyone can really tie together a few different platforms and start being their own entrepreneur, whether it's, you know, Clavio and Shopify and Instagram and, you know, a dropshipping company or a print on demand company. And so when I was, you know, talking to some friends in the fashion space, just hearing their pains and struggles just around like sourcing products and dealing with 3PLs and, you know, the whole industry teaches you, you have to do wholesale and you have to do it this way. Of course, it was like five years ago. And, uh, and yet, you know, the margins weren't great, but, but then they had to sell the product on their website for a really high price. Cause that's what, you know, Nordstrom's was selling it for. And I started thinking about like, well, what if instead of these folks having to like one, know about all these different platforms and two try to tie it together themselves, what if there was this kind of like 
you know, more vertical, like full stack solution. And so, you know, depending what a, a, a fashion company has, they could focus on, you know, their core competencies, and then we could sort of fill the gaps with, you know, whatever else they needed. And so that was 2016. And uh, my co-founder and I, Dylan, who, who I worked with at SHIP, you know, kind of started jamming on this idea. And, uh, you know, after extreme amount of iteration and, uh, and, and lots of hard work, we've, we've kind of made it to where we are today. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I know the uh, level of coordination personally and what goes into like literally designing a pattern and getting it made like a garment made. Um, it, it's dozens, if not hundreds of steps. Um, and then when you take into account, you're also sourcing the materials, uh, figuring out the logistics behind it, um, the manufacturing relationships, uh, the, the permutation of variables is like I, I, mind boggling. Yeah, it is, you know, and it makes me think early in this conversation, uh, I think it was you, Pavan, you, you referenced uh, the company being, you know, in, in, in the area of democratizing uh, fashion. Man, well, manufacturing I, really, but yeah. Well, I see it. I see it as more than that. I, I, I think there is that clearly the democratization, but what you really position yourself, Andrew is, is a true strategic partner. Uh, you know, you sit, think about the, the, the angel list that you mentioned. The idea is a, you know, an assembly room, if you will, digitally of people who can help each other succeed. Absolutely. And that's really what you are, is you are the other part of that burgeoning or budding fashion business that without having access to the kinds of things that you can bring to the table. It makes me think so much, uh, forgive me for this, but early in my life, uh, in another life, I was uh, in insurance and, and finance, believe it or not. And, um, and, and what we did is we went out and sold and found people and our agency provided everything else we needed to be successful. The receptionist, yep. the phone lines, the offices, the resources, the training and all that stuff that we could never really have practically done on our own. And through that, we are both successful. So to me, exactly. this is really just seems like the same equation in a way. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what's beautiful about the internet is that now so many of those things that, you know, it had to be a loca you had to go to a location to get a phone line or, you know, there were so many different things that were kind of constrained geographically that the type of innovation that you saw in, in sort of insurance and finance was just, it wasn't able to touch manufacturing because it's just, you know, you got your factories in, in you know, Myanmar or uh, Bangladesh and you got your fulfillment here. And, and I think it was, it's kind of been like the last, not the last, but, you know, it's taken a lot of time to actually get to the to the point where the industry is sort of ready. And the way we sort of look at it is like we couldn't exist pre-Instagram because I think Instagram has really started to democratize reach and fuel D to C, if you will, via starting this idea of consuming, you know, via something you see on your phone. But then we also couldn't, you know, the next step is in Shopify. Like we also couldn't really be around if Shopify hadn't come and made actually transacting really easy. But if you think of it as like a pyramid, you know, where you have your reach and your marketing and your ability to, to storytell and connect with your audience, and you have your Shopify where you can transact and sort of manage your products, that missing leg of the table is really to be able to produce the products you want at the quantities you want as easily as you can use these other two platforms. And that's where we feel like it's, it's just been so far away from that. As you were talking about Pavan with, you know, there's a thousand just different steps just to make one product. And, you know, the expectation of clients now is new drops every month and, you know, all this newness and, and, and stuff. And we see a lot of small brands, you know, kind of pre-Cala just drowning in the own their own kind of like thrash of all these different things that they're trying to manage at once. So, so let's walk through kind of like uh, checking under the hood a little bit in terms of the business relationship, starting with uh, between you and the client. Let's say um, that's the the most obvious one. Uh, how do you how do you manage that? Where's how's the money flowing there? Yep. So we we kind of have two main mechanisms for for working with us so one is what we call our caliper brands and so that's as simple as you know going to our site ca.la 
you can actually hop on our starter tier, start designing with, with a few different collaborators for free. And then if you actually want to submit a collection and get pricing, you just have to upgrade to our professional tier, which is only 35 bucks per user per month. Um, and then you can see pricing. And this is literally guaranteed pricing based on the details you've input. Wow. Mm-hmm. Push a button and and uh, you can upgrade for 500 bucks a month and um, and then a percentage of the cogs and then, you know, actually have those products be produced. So, you know, within an afternoon, you could start, you know, having a global supply chain. For our more celebrity and sort of influencer clients or people that have a bigger budget and know that they need a lot more help, we, we have our, un, our uncapped offering, which is basically a bundled plan. And instead of taking a percentage of the cost of goods, we take a percentage of sales. And so, you know, that the list rate for that is $1,500 a month plus we'll take like 25% of sales. But we'll build a website for you and design a website for you. We'll, we'll build out your full branding deck. We'll you know, pair you with a, a professional ghost designer from you know, an amazing brand that's parallel to what you want to do. Um, and so in that case, it's, it's kind of a mix between you know, a subscription and some sort of uh, you know, scale-based uh, compensation for us. In, in that second model, then, if you're taking the sale, are you also taking the, the revenue of the sale? So if you're building the website, <clears throat> is it attached to your um, revenue or is it attached to the client revenue? It's attached to them. So they basically, okay. we, we have them, you know, either set up or, or run it through an existing entity. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty flexible on what that is. LLC, Got it. LLC, and then you whatever. have background visibility so that there's the kind of checks and balances on that side. And then you just exactly. kind of send a monthly invoice or whatever it is yep. attached to that. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. So what's interesting oh. about that is, you know, it is a bit more a month, but you basically have a team of like 12 professional people that are all daily focused on making this a success. And actually some of our, um, we place a brand director on every team that kind of, you know, make sure all the ships are moving on time. And, and is that kind of like creative partner, um, even beyond outside of the, the actual like ghost designer. And they're actually part of their compensation is a percentage of our, our revenue, uh, share that we take. And so, you know, everyone's heavily incentivized in making this a, a success. Um, and it's the easiest way to kind of, you know, get things started in a really professional manner with the least amount of like cash, you know, upfront. Like if you pay for the full year upfront, it's 15 K try to try to go to LA and start a fashion brand for 15 K yeah. and it'll take you about four minutes till your budget's gone. <laughs> well, 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 okay. Well, it, it, is the name Kala for California LA, by the way? It's not surprisingly, but, the, but there is actually a, you know, there's a bit of a backstory where couldn't get the, the Kala.com. Um, and so CA.LA was available. We're like, wow, that's actually even shorter. Love that. Um, but the brand name itself actually was derived from the calla lily flower. And so um, that's been, you know, my wife and I, one of our favorite flowers. And in a sort of bouquet, a bouquet of all kinds of different crazy colorful flowers, you know, it's it's simple, it's elegant, it's refined, but it's not necessarily going to steal the show. And that's kind of how we see Cala supporting creatives is like, you know, we're there to make everything better. We're there to elevate things, but we don't want, you know, it doesn't need to sell on our website. It doesn't need to come in a box that says Cala on it. Like we want it to be about you. We're just hoping that we can come together and, and kind of create something even better together. And the influencer side, going back to that, I love the name, by the way. That is awesome. I love that Thank they you. have a huge story on that. And I, I totally understand the visualization of uh, having a beautiful, elegant piece that doesn't necessarily take over the show. So really appreciate that. Um, but it also does have nice roots. If you do think about California, L.A., just being a manufacturing or fashion hub of, uh, uh, you know, our, our country. So but um Let's uh, the influencer side. It really does intrigue me because I agree. Like, although you gave like some of the prime examples of uh, folks that built billion dollar companies off of influence, um, you know, the amount of support that they that it requires is quite quite uh, heavy. It's also probably the biggest bets that you have as a company. Hundred um, so, percent. So, um, is there a uh, an application process, or are you taking anyone that could essentially afford to invest in themselves in that capacity? So. Last year, when we were first starting out, we actually were even offering kind of $0 a month uh, for, for 30% rev share deals. And so we signed a few of those, um, just trying to kind of prime the pump of the industry. 
an agent's job is basically to make a client not pay money, right? And so this whole idea of like, wait, 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 you want our client who's filthy, filthy rich to pay you, you know, $1,500 a month? Uh, you're crazy. Uh, and, and granted, not all, all, all of them are, are um, super rich at this point, but you get the idea. So we did have to kind of, you know, build a track record, let them understand the quality difference of working with our team versus, you know, some of the other options out there. And so now, you know, it is a kind of a pay for play type deal. So there's kind of two things that we do to protect ourselves. One, of course, is the monthly subscription. And two is that we look at trailing 12 months revenue of the client uh, for, for selling physical things. We probably need to update to look at selling NFTs as well. But what we'll do off of that is we'll basically create a credit line. And so they can use that credit line for the cost of goods, for you know, extra ghost design or, or any sort of things like that. And then as they start selling, you know, the first dollar will go, we'll take our 25%, then the 75% will go towards paying down that credit balance. And so with basically only that 1500 a month, they could start doing, you know, we have brands that have done 300,000, $500,000 collections. They didn't start there. They started at, you know, 25 and then we saw it all sold out within the $48 and then we increased it. And um, the benefit there is that they don't have to take on a big, you know, uh, investor or, you know, do some kind of like weird, funky factoring deal that's really expensive and, and kind of, um, you know, not great for them um, and just focus on, you know, the design and, and not have to worry about capitalizing. Yeah. This has to be pure D to C though, um, I, is my assumption. I can't see any other way. So you are correct in, in the sense of us taking a rev share. What we do for, um, for our clients, so we, we have clients that sell in Dover Street and, and a bunch of cool stores. What we do there is, is we basically take a percent of the PO instead of the, the actual retail. So, you know, we, we try our best to, to make sure that we're, yeah. you know, making our clients successful because yeah. that's the only way for us to. Well, really, I mean, inherently, there has to be a lot of trust between you and the client. Then also, if they are going traditional like wholesale retail models, um, really interesting. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell, and you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. Well, Andrew, uh, I'm wondering, you know, you have your model, you have what can scale or has scaled. Uh, you know, you just talked about the percentage and as an option as well. But I imagine what there's a lot of opportunity for you here is two things. One is the old data play. There's you got to be accumulating a lot of data through this process that is useful, either as sellable data, data as um, as trend forecasting insight, uh, obviously to drive your own ship too. But I imagine also this is a bit of the ear to the ground for you. You must really be able to get be able to look and every once in a while say we have our eye on this particular designer or this particular company so how if at all are you looking and saying we've spotted some talent here we spotted someone we think is going to blow up and we think there's a much bigger opportunity here than just our revenue share let's reach out outside our normal channels and talk to them about where there's a partnership opportunity an investment opportunity uh, and using your company as a um as, as a i don't know an x-ray micro fund <laughs> a micro right. fund or yeah whatever you want to do uh because i i would think that that just through the law of large numbers you're, you're just going to run into those brilliant undiscovered things well you hit the nail on the head the the trend forecasting business especially in retail and fashion is an enormous business i mean everybody wants to know 
what's going to be the next trend, you know, what's the next big color, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, every, and the speed of everything has been dramatically increased due to e-commerce and, and social media, which we talked about. And so we do feel like we have a bit of an unfair advantage at the moment of not only understanding what sells, but also then being able to map that back to the fabrication, to the trims, to the pattern level. We aren't using it right now in, in any meaningful way. We are, we're, you know, purely focused on sort of the, the, you know, aggregation and collecting at this point. Um, but it's definitely something over the next couple of years that we already have some, some kind of early designs on our, um, our Cali commerce dashboard, which basically enables people to go in and start seeing, you know, from their own business initially, you know, really quick, beautiful view of like styles versus colors and variants and, um, you know, adding some logic to kind of help them quickly understand where they need to be focusing as a business. Plus a nice little button that says set a reorder point for these evergreen styles or, you know, click here to design in this new color uh, or reorder more. The other piece which you mentioned, which is super interesting, of course, is both looking for where there's gaps in the market and we could actually fill that with a new brand, whether it's an extension of another one or with a, a specific talent or, you know, keeping our nose to the ground and, and understanding who are the movers. And, uh, and we actually just this week, um, I've been watching this one brand for, for a minute and they've, you know, they've just been, you know, going, 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 going. They finally now on the jewelry front have been able to break into some really interesting stores. And so we just had a conversation with them about, you know, coming on and supporting them because of course, you know, they have much greater vision than just doing jewelry. Um, and so there's a bit of that now. And hopefully over the next couple of years, we're, we're able to get to the point where we can just say, okay, you know, you have our full support plus here's a million dollars and, you know, build out your core team a little bit, you know, let's make things a little bit less chaotic and we're going to quickly, you know, ramp this thing into a 20 million, you know, 30, $40 million business. You know, it kind of makes me think about the two. I'm curious how you are cross promoting or suggestive selling, uh, suggestion selling, uh, other. So you have a, you have a jewelry designer that is Aztec and, and, uh, and, uh, turquoise and so forth like that. And then you have a, you have a, a, a clothing designer that, uh, uh, a company that's doing, uh, native American type, um, style inspired prints and so forth. And you say, Hey, this audience may potentially see both of those in interest. How are you thinking about, or how are you practically introducing across your offerings wherever your, um, I assume your, your, uh, algorithm may propose, uh, but, but also how do you do that in a way that doesn't step on a brand's opportunity to sell more to that same customer? Yeah. So right now we're keeping it super organic. So, you know, the fashion industry is pretty tight knit. And so a lot of the collaborations we're helping to facilitate are, you know, either between friends or at least people that already, you know, kind of peripherally are aware of each other. And we just bring them together through okay. the simplicity of producing it. So that's more um, about partnerships than it is about, you know, a, a customer bought this. Exactly. Yeah. So right now we're, you know, we're, we're being super sensitive. There, there is a, a more or less a walled garden between brands um, where, you know, we're not necessarily coming in and saying, oh, hey, you're missing out on this category. These people are, are selling really well there. We are on the uncap level doing more of a monthly roundup, I guess you will, where the people that are leading our brand management team are saying, okay, in aggregate, kind of anonymized across different brands, you know, here's our, here are the price points that we're seeing that are selling well for these types of products. And we know your social graph pretty well. We use this amazing tool called Dovetail. Um, and so, you know, we can kind of go in and understand what their audience is, who they are, what they're talking about. And so we are doing a bit of like, right now it's a bit manual, but we're actually looking at for that overlap. So if we sign a new client, we're going to say, oh, your audience looks like this client and this client and this client. And so in aggregate, we should look at, you know, these kind of track suits or, um, you know, this type of uh, modal fabric, which is, you know, hitting really well at this kind of price point that we know you can sell at. 
Um, so it's not, you know, we're not doing it in a AI way right now, but, but there's definitely, you know, benefits that each incremental client's getting working with us. You know, like, uh, customers and brands are being more sensitive, of course, of where things are being produced. Right. And, uh, transparency of supply chain has been a huge, huge initiative, uh, globally, um, from a regulatory standpoint and governments kind of coming down, uh, but also just from a demand aspect of the, the customer wanting to know, um, the, the, you know, again, the, the full breadth of where their stuff is coming from. Now, what type of options do you have, uh, and flexibility do you have in deciding as a customer of yours, um, what's produced where? So we take a lot of inspiration from the way that Uber works in the sense of how our, our, um, our manufacturing network works. So we actually built our own pricing algorithm. And so we're able to, within 24 hours, show you your total landed cost, uh, no matter what the product type is. So then what we do is each of our manufacturers is tagged with, you know, their capability levels. Um, and so we'll actually then send it out as a bid to the best fit manufacturers, and then they get a chance to accept the bid or they can reject it and tell us, you know, the price is too low, the timeline's too tight, there's missing technical details. Um, and so, you know, typically within like 48 hours, you have your partner paired. And then at that point, you're, you're, you're talking to them directly. So, you know, in that case, you're not actually choosing, but the benefit that you get is the speed and, and, and price. And so, you know, if you imagine you had a great drive or a great ride last week with Steve, if, if you, if you lock the Uber app where only Steve, you would only get Steve from now on, it would take you an hour to get a ride. And it would probably be, you know, immensely expensive because if he's up in Queens and you're down in Brooklyn, like you got to just wait until Steve's available. So that's, that's a whole new way of sort of thinking in the space, obviously, because, you know, if you go to fashion school, it's all about, you know, you got to find one good factory, but if COVID taught us anything, one factory means, you know, you have a completely fragile supply chain. And so we're actually emulating the way that Zara operates by having this network approach of over 45 manufacturers, tons of redundancy and a global footprint in 10 different countries now. All of that to be said, that's our default way of operating. And we, our, default way, our default operation uh, principles is always, you know, cheaper, faster, better. So how do we get it to you and, you know, get you a product that's at a great price point in a quick timeline? And we are, we're typically at least two times faster than sort of the normal supply chain. You can start adding in different parameters. So you can say, I only want, you know, organic cotton. Um, or you can say, I only want it to be produced in Europe. And as you add in these different parameters, the costing tends to go up um, and the timelines tend to get a bit longer. Um, so you can still do it, but we just, you know, we have that kind of conversation with the talent up front. And most people that want to do it, they're like, I only want to produce in Italy. We're like, great, like loud and clear. We're only going to run the algorithm on, on factories that are in Italy. And, you know, we're going to get you the best price and the greatest timeline based on that parameter. Um, that'll typically be, you know, 30 to 40% more expensive than producing in some of other areas. But, but again, so then is there any level of due diligence on your end before onboarding a manufacturer? Uh, I know there's, there seems to be plenty of opportunity to do the due diligence as a brand, but uh, a lot of your clients, from what I understand, don't necessarily have that knowledge or the acumen to ask the right questions. Absolutely. So we only work with, you know, 4.5 out of five stars and higher drivers, just like Uber. So they're, they're, you know, instead of doing a background check, we do an audit. And, uh, and so for our audit, we have, you know, a tons of different criteria that we look at. We have a, you know, commitment to people and a commitment to the planet that, um, you know, each factory has to, to go through that process. And then we'll also even go a step farther and do a test project with them. And so we're, we're not only, you know, testing, do they have all the certifications and the, you know, paying, paying fair wages relative to their market? Um, you know, are they, in investing in things like LED lighting and, and, you know, water effluent systems to, to make sure the water's, you know, being treated properly before it goes back into the main thing, but also like, are they able to answer an app mention and uh, are they able to log in and check their notifications and quickly respond in this, this sort of like tech first way. And both, both of those are as important. Um, and that's where a lot of factories in Italy, they just, you know, it's not fashion to use technology. And so while they're great and they have good craftsmanship, 
it's so difficult to work with them and the constant, like the timelines are constantly getting pushed out that, you know, it doesn't really work for our clients and this kind of future that we're trying to build towards. So, you know, it definitely, it takes, uh, you got to kind of come at it at both from both sides to make sure it's a, a great factory for our, our Man, customers. You're, you're doing a ton. You're doing a ton of due diligence. That's a lot. That's incredible. Well, speaking of due diligence uh, in a more global sense, because there's so much of it here, uh, how, how much, if at all, is it practical for you to think about some of the things that are happening elsewhere in the industry, which is making sure that uh, minority-based businesses are getting a chance to step up, um, women-owned or led businesses are getting a chance to step up, um, uh, how, how, if at all, are you, I don't mean this as a challenge, but I'm saying how, how, if at all, has this been on your minds and how, if it has been on your minds, you've been able to practically sort of put that in motion in a way that, that actually has teeth. Absolutely. So the beauty of democratization is that it's colorblind to some degree. And, uh, and so what we're sort of seeing is that the ability to have access to our network at a, you know, incredibly $35 a month to start seeing pricing, you know, whether, you know, you come from, you know, whatever your, your socioeconomic background or race or, or, or gender or whatever. Um, we don't know. I mean, all we can see is your email. And, and so it really is, uh, you know, laying that playing field and, and kind of giving everyone an opportunity to, to be successful and, and kind of be, be smart in their business. We also, have uh, our, our kind of like content site called 1MOQ. And so um, this past summer, we gave access to 1MOQ to our entire uh, you know, list of, of, of folks that we worked with in the past that came from um, you know, different sort of like underprivileged backgrounds previously. And so the benefit there is like, not only are we giving you the tools, but we're also giving you some of the, the information around you know, how to lay a great foundation for your brand, starting with why, um, mapping who your target customer were, and some of the more educational things that you may not get, you know, in, in traditional uh, sort of education systems. On the sort of, uh, you know, empowerment side as well. So our purpose as a, as a company is empowering creators everywhere. And so in this context, we mean not only creators as in designers and people who are launching brands, but we also mean as the people that are physically you know, creating either the patterns or the the fabric or the actual goods and garments themselves. And so we actually have a, you know, one of our kind of like criteria that we check for in our audit is, you know, what does the ownership of the business look like? What are the demographics of the ownership of the business? And so we actually have some factories that are majority uh, female owned and, you know, a large, large percentage of our businesses are, um, you know, over, over 50%, um, you know, female when it comes to, to the manufacturing. Um, which of course is you know typical in a lot of um, apparel manufacturing. So we're looking at what programs do we have, or, or or are the factories providing to elevate these people? And so some of our factories provide healthcare on site, which is incredible. Um, you know, some of them have other sort of programs where you know they're investing in continued education or you know letting people see that path where you're not just sewing a pattern or you know sewing a piece every single day for the rest of your life, but you can become a supervisor and you can become a manager. Um, and so those are things that, as you mentioned, you know, are becoming more and more important and critical to brands that are, that are people, you know, that the people are launching and, and, you know, shout out to Gen Z, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's all about what you ask for. And if I learned anything in the space, manufacturers will do what is profitable. And it's just fortunate that Gen Z and, and really just the, you know, the world in general is shifting towards enough demand for the right types of things that it's becoming profitable to, you know, when I first started producing sustainably, quote unquote, would be like almost double the price per unit. And now it's like, it's a 20% premium. It's great. Like, you know, and, and we're working towards making sustainability a default where, you know, it's actually more difficult to produce non-sustainably than to, to actually produce sustainably. Now, now I'm wondering, like, so you have 20 people now, have you, um, is this fully bootstrapped? Uh, have you fundraised a, a bit? What's kind of the background there? Yep. So I've been fortunate through my experience with SHIP to, you know, have met a good good handful of, uh, you know, the, the Sand Hill Road and, and all the great investors in, in the game. And so, you know, we've, we've been able to raise about $10 million so far. Um, it's been 
a absolute slog. Um, you know, I, at first I was pitching people and no one cared about fashion. No one ever made any money in fashion. Like, don't want to talk to you. Bye. Sorry. Um, by the way, what happened to ship? That was always the, the conversations. <laughs> uh, but uh, now it's, you know, D to C has become, you know, a huge segment. And now even beyond that, the creator economy is, you know, everyone has a investment you know thesis around that now. So I think we've been fortunate enough to, have survived long enough to to be in a in a pretty pretty good position now. That's great. So so what's next? Like what's on the horizon in terms of where you want to be uh, product wise, and then uh, where you want to be in terms of uh, the amount of um, let's say demand you're able to hold or withstand. So from a product perspective, we're really focused on mobile. So we'll be uh, we'll be announcing some pretty interesting stuff around mobile in the next couple months, and really building towards this world. The the ultimate long term vision is you know you can design from your phone in a very high fidelity way, and you can have it produced on demand close to your customer wherever they are in the world. And that's kind of you know those are the things that we're we're stepping towards. Um, producing one MOQ, you know, which is minimum order quantity of one, is the most sustainable way you can do it. And so that's that's the way that we're we're working towards. From a sort of like business perspective, one of the things that COVID also did for us is they removed the ability for someone to fly to Prado in Italy to review their samples. And now collaboration and digitizing your supply chain is not just like some interesting thing that the innovation guy is messing around with, but it's actually like table stakes for how you run your business effectively. And so I think this year, our big focus is going to be actually onboarding existing pretty large fashion brands that everyone's heard of um, that are looking for ways to, you know, take a small team and enable them to do 10x the, the amount of, of product and, and, you know, operations. And so that's kind of going to be our big, big focus there. And, you know, as, as my friends from Uber used to always say, it's always a, a demand problem, and then the switch flips, and it's henceforth a supply problem. And so, you know, we're not quite there yet. We we have about a million units of capacity per month with our our existing network, um, but pretty soon, I think, we'll get to the point where you know we're just we have a whole team probably of twenty that's just going to factories over and over again trying to see who who fits our criteria to to join the network. If you had a uh, like your number one dream influencer to work with that you are not currently working with, who would that be? Kanye. Kanye or Skrillex, I think would be my my two dreams. Um, Virgil would be amazing as well. He's He is an influencer, but he's also an architect and a DJ and a art installation. <laughs> he's got a lot of names and, and I think he's he's got manufacturing pretty covered at this point, but... Um, but those those three are people that have inspired me creatively for, you know, over a decade at this point. Um, I remember when, because I've always been a big Kanye fan, and I remember seeing him and Virgil in their whole, like, Louis Vuitton get up at their first Paris Fashion Week. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing to see where where those guys have all kind of gotten to at this point. Um, and, I, and I just love people that are about creativity and democratization and and want to make you know that accessible to everyone i think that's always inspiring for me as well that seems like a good point to pause and uh pick it back up with uh looking at the human side of andrew with a round of off the grid questions when we come back Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. 
And now it's time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business. All right, Andrew, uh, this is the part of the show where we get to know you as a, as a human, uh, as opposed to a business human, (laughs) a human human. Uh, and that is off the grid questions where we ask questions that are a little more off the grid, a little more personal in nature. We of course have a solution for determining the order of the questions by spinning our great big giant fashionable wheel of grid destiny. I'm going to Give it a big heave-ho and turn it, and it's spinning and spinning. And the first question is going to be from Pavin. That was a close one. It was. It, it was, was very close. It sounded Ooh. close. Um, <laughs> Andrew, uh, well, you know, you, of course, uh, made reference to, to your journey, kind of starting with identifying the fact that you are right and left uh you know, kind of brained in, in your approach. Um, and I would assume that that kind of translates also into like, you know, your life overall. Um, if you were now, of course you are pouring your energy into building a business and you have been, uh, you've been on that professional career path, um, since school. But if you were to pour your heart into developing influence online, um, what were would be the skills, uh, the creative or the business skills that you would lean into and want to teach people and show and curate? That is a great question, Pavan. That is a great question. That is a great question. I'm 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 partially joking, but I think that some fun found like some foundational how to use the internet type things would be be something that I would definitely, you know, spend time, uh, you know, teaching people and, and working on. And so, you know, the combination of how, how to f- quickly find answers or the information that you're looking for, and two, how to train yourself to always have your ears, you know, kind of perked up for new tools that you can tie together into interesting ways to make, to automate your job or, to enable you to achieve your objectives more effectively. And so obviously I, I love product hunt, but, you know, helping people understand the, the kind of like the process of, you know, evaluating a tool or um, finding a tool to solve a problem. And, and often it's just the way that you frame the question when you're Googling it. Um, so, you know, to kind of think of a, a good example here, um, our team, you know, we're constantly creating new technology and, you know, we've tried, Trello and Asana for like the process of managing, um, you know, sprint planning as we call it. And, you know, one of our, uh, our head of product was, you know, on, on Twitter, I think, and he heard about this new product linear and it's just this, you know, this amazing tech team, small team, but they've built a great product and they understand the core problem so well that they're able to create this great solution. Like we haven't seen, you know, before in, in any other tools. And that, you know, that elevates our team probably, you know, 10%, but, you know, on a, a five or six person like product team to get that kind of 10%, you know, boost is, is super, you know, game changing. And so for influencers, I'd be looking at, you know, I saw this amazing tool the other day where you can use AI to automatically cut out imagery from a photo and, and, you know, just where, where are these simple things that would take you hours in Photoshop to do? that can either, you know, speed up something you're already doing or give you access to a whole new type of content for your audience um, that could help you, you know, be more successful. Look, look, for every one of these new things that we're seeing out there that are getting traction, like the, the, the you know, the, the animation that can make your photo come alive or, or um, you know, there's uh, something that can create clip art from, from a simple image or, gosh, I could just go on and on. There's probably 10, 20, 50, 100 of them out there that are just equally as great that just for whatever reason haven't connected with the, the media or they don't have as good a PR machine or whatever it is. And, um, but man, if you could just know about it, it could be game changing for you, especially if not as many people know about it, it's going to really stand out. Absolutely. A, another spin of the wheel. Speaking of, you know, highfalutin technology. Uh, and, uh, and, and it, it is coming to a rest and it is, 
Pavin, you're not gonna believe this. It's me. <laughs> so I, I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a, a question here now, Andrew. The question is, what's the first sale you remember making in your life? Now, now let me explain. This could be literally an exchange of money. This could be a grand daddy lie you sold somehow to a parent. This could be, you know, getting a date. This could be anything. But what do you remember being the earliest big sale you ever made in your life? So the first thing that's coming to me is a lifeguarding job at this really cool club, like pool club and like fitness center in in Tennessee. And um, for some context, I did swim team for about 30 minutes uh, growing up and uh, jumped in the pool and the coach immediately saw that I was not a, uh, you know, head in the water kind of guy. And so he took me in the deep end and sort of like held me underwater. (laughs) Held me up in the water, like breathe, dunk, breathe, dunk. So I did not swim a lap for probably 10 years. And then I was working at at a restaurant and they called me the Togo girl uh, because the the Togo window uh, employee had always been female prior. So I was the Togo girl for about six months and I couldn't take it anymore. And I knew that this fitness center you know, was amazing. And the lifeguards looked like they were having this great time. And it was, you know, amazing and out in the sun and everything. And so I figured out who was the manager of the fitness center. And while he was working out one day, I went up to him and I was like, Hey Ryan, it's Andrew. You don't know me, but I would make an amazing lifeguard and would love it if you could give me a chance. Um, you know, don't, don't have any experience being a lifeguard before. I know you, you need to have experience, but you know, I think I would be great and, you know, please give me a shot. And for whatever reason, I must have spoke with conviction or maybe he's surprised that I just showed up, but you know, the job post said, you know, you need to have at least a year to work there. And I had no swimming experience and was not trained as a lifeguard. And he gave me a shot and I swam a 500, um, that afternoon and just banged it out. And, um, and then next thing I know, I was uh, a, a trained lifeguard. And then I eventually even started teaching lifeguarding. And so that was, that was one of those pivotal moments where it's like, you know, I was this kind of depressed person working at a kind of a depressing work you know, restaurant to, you know, meeting all these interesting people that worked at this facility and, and really, you know, had a great experience. So basically you can say the two major qualifications for doing this job that involves the security and safety of human beings lives you know, let's just go past those two and absolutely for you. Wow. Somehow I was able to build trust in that first like 20 seconds and, and then, you know, faked it till I made it. And next thing I know I was, you know, doing a, doing a great job. So, and you didn't kill a single person all summer. Nope. And and I did it for, I ended up doing it for probably six years and I taught over a hundred people to, to actually go be uh, lifeguards at other places. And, you know, it was a pretty crazy, crazy story. I can see how that training goes. Listen, let me just tell you, between you and me, you don't even need to know how to swim in this job. Don't worry about a thing. So, All right, Andrew, all kidding aside, uh, thank you so much. How can people connect with, uh, obviously, the company, but perhaps you directly? So, of course, we're online at ca.la on Instagram at this is Kala. And of course, I'm also on Twitter at A-W-H-Y-I-T. Had to spell my name phonetically because, you know, Andrew Wyatt is a great uh, DJ and producer in the, the music industry. So uh, went phonetic there. Um, but yeah, happy to, to, you know, chat back and forth on, on Twitter or, you know, over email. Um, I'm A at C-A dot L-A. Hit me up. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Super. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Andrew Wyatt. Congratulations on everything with the the business that uh, you and your team have built. Uh, what a what a success already, and uh, just seems like it's just this exponential thing that just is gonna it's gonna keep touching more and more lives as each of these companies that you help empower through that strategic partnership and democratization 
to, to become businesses that employ more people and impact more people's lives. So that's really, really great. Um, thanks so much. All right. Well, anyway, Appreciate thanks it. so much. Yeah. Uh, congratulations uh that's it for this episode of fashion is your business everybody uh thanks so much for joining us we sure do appreciate it i know i do and i'm pretty much pretty sure Pubbin does as well so <laughs> i do uh, i do and do. and listen andrew i'm pretty sure if i were to guess and i don't know this for sure but if i were to guess if kanye and verge or skrillex are listeners i think they are i'm just guessing Yes. So if, I don't if see how guys, they couldn't be. I, I can't imagine that they're not listening to us. Uh, so, so I hope that one of you three uh, reach out to uh, to Andrew and make his dreams happen. Yeah, why not? Hey, you know what? <laughs> this is one of those things. All kidding aside, Pavan, there is no reason for us not to say that on this show, right? You because don't know I have no gonna, idea. Sh- you know, but you don't <laughs> know who knows who, who knows who, who knows who that can put those things in action. Because why not? Uh, all right. Uh, if that happens, by the way, we 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 absolutely expect to hear about it. Hundred percent. Okay. Just say put it into the universe. <laughs> it's the universe right. will receive it, and then we'll tell the story. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. Until then, for pub and ball, shake it easy, folks. <laughs> I'm Mark Rako. Bye bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.